You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, upc.org. Well, today is Christ the King Sunday, an appropriate day on which to end our series in Colossians. Paul has unpacked for us why the kingdom where Jesus rules is a great place to live. And we've been looking at how rich we are in Christ. We've been rescued from a path that leads to dysfunction and ruin and reset on the way of the gospel that leads to life. The way God intended us to live. So today we'll look at God's hope for doing all this. Why? What is God up to? Not just in us personally, but for all of us together. So as we begin uh, this morning, I invite you to stand with me, grab a pew Bible, and read with me from Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. It's page 958 in your pew Bible. The word of the Lord. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, Pray for us as well, that God will open to us a door for the word, that we may declare the mystery of Christ, for which I am in prison, so that I may reveal it clearly as I should. Conduct yourselves wisely towards outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt so that you may know how we ought to answer everyone. Let's pray. God, prepare our hearts to accept your word. Silence in us any voice but your own, that hearing we may also obey your word. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. So I was thinking the other day, as the Black Friday ads were on, about how much goes into advertising in our world. This last election season was the most costly in history. And Costco's been selling you Christmas since before the kids went back to school, trying to convince us we need lots of sparkly, cheery things. I went to a movie the other night and sat through 20 minutes of trailers, and only one captured my interest. But this past week, the place where I was probably most intrigued by the power of advertising was with the demise of the Twinkie. (laughs) Now, I bet most people in this room have had one. First of all, you're not at the marathon, so that tells me something right now. So I want to know, I want to know how many people in this room have had a Twinkie in your lifetime? Oh, there we are, friends. Proud of you. Look at the success of Twinkie's advertising. Somewhere along the way, someone either convinced you or someone that loves you that a Twinkie was the key to your happiness. Have you looked at their marketing history? I have no idea how they accomplished this. Twinkie the kid? Or how about later when they decided to bake holiday-appropriate, now-banned toxic dye into their Twinkies and sold them in accordance with whatever red dye number two was good for for the season? Valentine's Day, Christmas. But let's be honest, most of America has been sucked into eating this nutritionally vacuous food. Eating it, craving it, and convincing others to join. 
And that's effective advertising. It's amazing. And people are scrambling to buy them before they disappear. Little Debbie is sitting on her throne with a great smile while everyone is fighting for them on eBay. But here's the thing. I bet more people care about the disappearance of the Twinkie than care that our church is in decline. All over the world, the church is in decline. I bet that more people crave a Twinkie than an encounter with Jesus. And I'm also willing to bet that most of us would feel more comfortable offering a Twinkie to a friend than talking to them about Jesus. In places of pain, most of us would rather fill ourselves with nutritionally void cakes than be satisfied with the bread of life that comes from this table. Colossians reminds us that the church was intended as the advertisement, the trailer for the gospel. The way that we live out our relationship with God, each other, and the world around us has always been God's evangelistic strategy. It's not a New Testament concept. Isaiah 60 says, Arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, deep darkness the people. But the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will appear upon you, and nations will run to your light, kings to the brightness of your rising. We're meant to shine Christ's light in and through us like a laser light show at a theatrical grand opening. Let the light so shine so brightly that everyone would run to know the source of it. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The church, and this is crazy, and I have not been ashamed to talk to God about this. The church is God's marketing plan. And as I've wrestled with Colossians, I continue to find myself asking, what are we, the church, advertising in God's name? What are we pointing people to? And how are we doing? Jesus is the hope of the world. And as we round the corner to Advent, that's what this season's all about. Incarnate, saving hope. An expectation that the God of the universe will meet us in human terms, rescue us from all the lesser ways that we try to rescue ourselves. That's good news. Our mission at University Presbyterian Church is to share hope in Jesus Christ making us alive to God, to one another, and to the world around us. Perhaps you've heard echoes of this mission in this series, as Colossians reminds us that every one of us dies with Christ and has been raised with him so that we might live in and for him. In chapter 2, verse 6, we read, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. And as we heard last week, being alive to God changes everything about the way we are meant to know ourselves. It changed Peter from a fisherman to a shepherd. It changed the Apostle Paul from a persecutor of the church to its champion. And it has, and it continues to change each one of us. We're a community of has-beens, living into and becoming our most true selves as we live into God. And again, that is good news. But I think, to be fair, it's time for us to do a little truth in advertising. It is absolutely good news, but I'm not sure it always feels like good news. And it doesn't happen overnight. 
Peter, Paul, and the rest of the gang made lots of mistakes along the way. You can read all about them in the New Testament. Well, for my part, I'm obviously not at the Seattle Marathon either, and I'm a has-been lacrosse player. Truthfully, I was never destined for greatness. I wasn't particularly fast. I'm not really all that coordinated, so I played defense. Now, if you don't know lacrosse, the women's game is meant to be a game of finesse, which means we don't wear a lot of equipment as we take that leaded rubber ball down the field. You're supposed to give and go, ladies. Whew! I had many bruises to show for my incredible skills. But what really rescued my career as a lacrosse player, which I want you to read, allowed me to leave with my head held high, was that I have really bad knees. And by the time I graduated, I needed reconstructive surgery on both of them. So I found a doctor with a great reputation, and off to surgery I went. Now here's the thing about surgery. I walked in. And I felt pretty good. But when that surgery was done, and this was pretty funny, as I was going out, I actually knew the doctor, and I said, so John, what kind of tools do you use? And he said, Craftsman, lifetime guarantee. (laughs) It's great. So when John was done with his drills and his saw and all his hardware, I have to admit, I did not feel good. And I could not walk. But the doctor assured me that I was fixed. My knees were better. They were perfect. And from that point on, my goal was to live into that which he had done. I had to embrace a new reality. I needed a lot of help. It was hard. And growth often required discipline and going through some painful exercises. PT, premeditated torture. But the more I disciplined myself to live into that doctor's good work, the clearer it was, first of all, not only how skillful he was, but how much more freedom I had to do things that I could never have done before. I very wisely did not pick up a lacrosse stick again after that. Well, the great physician's prescription for our health is spelled out in the scriptures, here by Paul in the beginning of chapter 3. Since you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Set your minds on things that are above. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. The more we live into the work that God's already done in our lives, the more we're able to live as God intended. And God is made known. We're healed, and God is glorified. Or, as Corinthians said, we grow up, and God is revealed. And a laser beam lights up the sky and points people to Jesus. A few months ago, I was at a class at Fuller Seminary, and there was a guy there that looked really familiar. I kept looking at him, he kept looking at me, and I realized it was a a former colleague I had not seen in over 20 years. It's amazing how 20 years can change you. Well, at the end of our week together, we had had many class discussions. As he said goodbye, he came up and he said, you know, you're exactly who I remember you to be, only more. Thankfully, he had reminded me of some wise insight I had given him and not something stupid that I had done. That would have been bad. But that's kind of it, isn't it? 
when we live into the, in, into the work that God's doing in our lives, we actually become more ourselves. It's fun to get older. As I do, I'm just a lot more comfortable in my own skin. I wish I had known at 20 what I know now. Well, what catches me as we talk about our first century has-beens is that we've heard their stories, Peter, Paul, the whole lot of them. We've heard them, and those stories actually point us to the work of grace that God does through Jesus. We know the disciples didn't get there overnight, so I doubt we will either. And we know they had a community to help them. So we shouldn't think that we can do it by ourselves, because nobody becomes a great walking billboard in a vacuum. I bet each of you could name folks who've helped encourage you along the way. I think we call that living the church. But wait, wait, isn't church just about worship? If you know me at all, you know that one of my favorite movies is The Princess Bride. It probably will come up in every sermon I preach, so I'm just going to warn you now. <laughs> there are many great quotable lines. Let's see if you're all, let's see who's, let's see who's in the house, shall we? Hello. My name is Inigo Montoya. Better than Twinkies. You guys are good. One of the funnier interchanges, there are many in that movie, is where the scene keeps saying, inconceivable. And it's not. Everything goes wrong. And so Inigo Montoya says, that word, I do not think it means what you think it means. Well, I would like to think that Inigo Montoya's clause applies to the word church and worship. Those words, I do not think they mean what they've come to mean. I do not think they mean what we think they mean. Some of our youth have been reading Jesus with Dirty Feet, and author Don Everts talks about the church this way. All those steepled buildings you see around town, turns out none of them are churches. Those signs out front are really misleading. The church has never been a building. Church is all those kingdom dwellers put together. The plural of Jesus follower is church. It's nothing but a fancy way for a Jesus follower to say we or us. Well, the church in Colossae is actually a collection of different groups that would meet in homes, small groups, kingdom dwellers that committed to come together and worship and encourage each other. As they lived out Christ's transforming reality through prayer and thanksgiving, they started a first-century laser light show in Colossae, pointing people to Jesus. No wonder Paul encouraged them to be mindful about how they conduct themselves, and that he invites them to make the most out of every opportunity. We've got something better than Twinkies, people. Paul here brings the church back to God's marketing strategy, how we live makes Christ known throughout the earth. This isn't a new concept for us at UPC, because whenever God's people here put their heads together in prayer and seek to make the most out of every opportunity to live into God's grace, light shines in Seattle. So over a decade ago, a couple of Jesus followers from UPC saw a need to come alongside families in crisis. Discerning in prayer, they saw a confluence of need, relationships, and gospel opportunities. And thus, Side by Side was started to support families living at the Ronald McDonald House and receiving treatment at Seattle Children's. 
Every time the church serves through side-by-side, people encounter a God who loves them and is with them and has compassion and joy to spare, even in the places of great pain. And if you've ever participated as a volunteer, you know that every bit of that light comes right back at you, warms your own soul. And volunteers not only point to God, but they meet Jesus more fully themselves. We become, all of us, a little bit more of who we were meant to be. Over the past few years, many of our small groups have been seeking out ways of being the church in their local communities through Love Your Neighborhood projects. We've shared God's love for people in need as we pick up paintbrushes, clear brush, serve a meal, clean out a yard, fix playground equipment, plant flowers, listen to stories. Each of those, every one of them, is an act of grace that points others to Jesus, an act of worship that reveals Christ in us, the hope of glory. Some really fun, creative people here at the church have decided to put their heads together again for the second year in a row. And on December 15th, from 10 to 2, upstairs in Larson Hall, we're throwing a Narnia-themed Christmas party for our neighborhood. Lots of food, lots of things for kids to do, and a great place to connect with others. It's a great way to start to live into the Christmas season. We're doing it because we want to share some joy. We want to serve people food. And make a festive and welcoming place to meet our neighbors as we share hope in the incarnation. Do you know folks that you'd like to see served and welcomed? Bring them along. It's just one way that people will know that Jesus dwells in the U District. See, here's the thing. We are no more defined by this building than the church at Colossae was by their houses. Our church has countless opportunities Because we are students and faculty and staff at the University of Washington and the other great universities here in Seattle, lest we forget. We live and we work around tech industries, hipster singles, global health movers and shakers, small business owners, entrepreneurial idealists, fishermen, and some of the best hospitals and staff going. And here's the deal. God is where God's people are. Where University Press is, the community gathers and meets Jesus. What if, what if we prayed and dreamed and followed into the places that God calls us as the church? It's acting on God's grace in our lives, by the way, which forms the most basic definition of worship. You know, we spent a good deal of our past year at UPC talking about worship. You might have noticed that conversation around here. But truly, worship is everything that we do and respond to God's grace in our lives. Maybe you and your crazy family and some friends sat around a table with lots of food and laughed your heads off over the weekend. And as you did that, you lived into grace, and that was worship. Maybe you grabbed hands and said thank you for the meal. That was worship. Or maybe this weekend all you wanted was a gallon of milk and you were frustrated by the crowded parking lots and wondered how quickly can we turn from gratitude to greed. And you said, Lord, have mercy. And that was worship. 
When we do it individually, it's a light that shines like a candle. But when we do it all together, well, if you've seen the candlelight service, you know what a difference it can make when all those lights shine at once. So here's the question. Does our life together, our living out of community and worship, does it invite others to taste in the richest affair? Last week, I got a call from a former student. She's now living in New Hampshire with her sister, which is crazy because she's from Ghana and she's hated the cold weather ever since I've met her. She reminded me of a Thanksgiving meal years ago at my house when I lived in Massachusetts. She said it was a turning point for her when she was a student. It's when she knew that God was going to take care of her and that she had finally found a home so far away from home. We remember the event quite differently. I had wanted to throw an all-out New England Thanksgiving feast. Both my parents are New Englanders, so for me it was, I'm going to throw the party that I always had as a kid, right? Turkey, stuffing, sweet potatoes, cranberries, pies, all the stuff that was part of the Thanksgiving celebrations that I had known. But as I invited the people that needed a place to go, it was clear that the menu that I had in mind was not exciting for many of them. Twa was from Vietnam. Nanorle from Ghana. Zlatinka and Gergana were from Bulgaria. And Lavanya from India. To them, a feast implied very, very different foods. So I had to make a choice. Was I going to subject them to my expectations? Or was I willing to meet them halfway? In the end, everybody prepared dishes from their culture. And we had a grand feast. I honestly couldn't tell you what I ate, largely because there's no way I'd be able to pronounce any of it. But as I looked around the table, these folks were at home because something of their home was being shared with their community. Now, I won't lie and tell you I fell in love with that food, but I appreciated the traditions from which they came. And better yet, We all experienced God's grace in our community because we recognized that we were bound by more than cultures or languages or histories or traditions. We represented together God's kingdom family. I didn't know that 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 meal had impacted Na until last week, but I do recall that God stretched me that day and that my vision for what God was doing in and around me grew exponentially. Although, given the number of calories we consumed, I'm pretty sure that's not the only way that we grew that day. We, as Jesus followers, who regularly gather at UPC, have before us incredible opportunities to point the community around us to Jesus. It may be that we need to put our heads together and pray a little bit more, asking God to show us how to make the most out of the possibilities around us, to look for what could be. Or it may be that we need to reimagine what already is. Maybe letting go of what we know how to make in order to make space for those that we don't. We long to let those folks find a place at our table because they're hungry for so much more than the world around them is serving up. I believe God has called us to be this church and this community. We have so much great opportunity before us. I think God wants to stretch us and grow us 
But I promise you, it'll be so much more satisfying than a Twinkie. Let's pray. God, thank you that you love us so much that you won't let us be satisfied with anything less than that which is good for us. Thank you that you have met us through great people, friends who've loved us and loved us into becoming more and more who you long for us to be. Help us, Lord, that we may continue in this path of, of worship and community so that every knee would bow and every tongue confess that you are Lord to the glory of the Father. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.